Listener Production. Please leave your message after the tone. Why am I jealous of my ex? I am so stressed all the time. How do I get into a routine? Is TikTok making me anxious? I think I'm being manipulated. Someone told me you could live with half a brain. This is Do You Fucking Mind? Mindset Hacks for a Badass Life. Hosted by me, Alexis Fernandez. Hello, my beautiful beans. This week's episode is a little different. I actually wanted to drop in here an interview that I did with Antoinette Latouf for the news podcast, The Briefing, with basically a whole bunch of my tips on how to live a badass life because we love that so much. And it was honestly such a good chat. I really enjoyed it and I wanted to share it with you guys. So let's get straight into it. Hello, hello. It's Antoinette Latouf hosting The Weekend Briefing. So when I say self-care and self-love... What do you imagine? Because for me, it's bath bombs and maybe even influencers spruiking products and fancy, tricky yoga poses I definitely can't do. The world of self-care is definitely growing, but behind the products and the marketing push are actual experts who are building big followings as people crave support, direction, community, and in some cases, sweary entertainment. Enter neuroscience whiz author and host of hit podcast, Do You Fucking Mind, Alexis fernandez Pragsa, who's recently joined the listener family with her podcast. The fabulous Potty Mouth has even gotten the BBC offside. You'll hear more about that in just a moment. She uses her platform to unpack how our brain works and its link to self-love, self-worth and happiness. Here's my interview with Alexis fernandez Pragsa. So, Alexis, you say you're not the average self-development host. What is the average self-development host? Well, I think a lot of self-development comes across as, and this is a massive generalization to be fair, but I feel like a lot of self-development comes across as be happy, love yourself. And it's kind of telling you what to do, but there's a lot of the time there's not a, a step-by-step instruction on exactly how to do that. And B, what I personally mm. love and what my listeners love is an understanding of what's going on in the brain to facilitate mm. those changes. I think a lot of people are now really into science or like, you know, surface level science. And when you understand, yeah. you know, the neuroscience of why it is that a thought can change how you're feeling or why it is that physically doing an activity can actually change how your brain is wired, then it makes people more likely mm. to want to change because it seems more realistic. Yeah, and and grounded in research and mm. what I call sexy science. Exactly. This brand yeah. of science is <laughs> exactly. sexy science that people want to want to get around. Self-help is a growing area, arguably because as a species, humans are getting more screwed up by the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are also a bunch of people who just like burn sage and purport to be like qualified in in some way or shape Mm. or form. Am I being a cynic here or are you seeing that too? I do see that too. And I think that if burning sage and doing all of that works for you legitimately, obviously go ahead and do it. There's a lot to be said for things that will change your mood and just make you feel better and all the carry-on benefits to that. However, I think there's a lot of people that are not qualified that don't really understand how the brain works and will kind of give very vague or strange advice, I think, on how someone should feel better. And the problem with that is there's there's massive expectation to, there's this fashion of, you've got to feel good all the time. 
reach mm. your goals. You know, you've, you've got to be happy all the time. You're a hustler. You're a boss bitch or whatever. And the, mm. the reality of that is that's not how we feel most of the time. So my mm. aim is to get people to truly strike balance in their life, understand that negative feelings and bad feelings are inevitable. And it's more so how are we approaching these things? How are we just accepting them as part of our life? Because if you're fearing, oh my God, I can't have bad thoughts. I can't be sad. I can't have, I can't feel defeated. Then you think you failed. And I think that's wrong. I think life should be about how do I strike the best balance possible working with what I've got? And that's how you become happy. We're going to talk about some of your pointers on how to condition the mind in just a moment. But I want to talk about your first book, Be Bold. Mm -hmm. And it's about saying yes and taking a leap. Talk me through the biggest leap you've taken. So the biggest leap, so all of my 20s was a bit of like trial and error, I would say. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my life, but I always loved the brain and I loved fitness and I was in love in my mid-20s, very much in love. And this guy ended it all of a sudden. And that was probably my first actual, like, real taste of heartbreak, feeling just desperate and helpless and not knowing what to do. I moved to Sydney. I still wasn't happy. I was just kind of at a point where I thought something massive has to change because I'm I'm so miserable. So the biggest leap of faith was that one day it had been maybe I'd say maybe 10 months after the breakup, I didn't feel like I was getting better. So I just bought this one-way ticket to Paris and spent the next couple of months just saving and sold my car and got rid of everything. And then I just went there and was teaching Pilates there. And it was unbelievable. It was the best thing I ever did because that is where I truly learnt all these things about myself that I didn't know I had. What sorts of things? I learnt that I genuinely loved being alone, that I could really enjoy my own company. I learned that heartbreak is actually not the worst thing in the world. You learn so much through the heartbreak. You learn about your resilience. You, I think I became even funnier after a heartbreak. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like when you get knocked down, you can become a bit more, you know, funny and. Yeah, that's gallows humor, right? That's a form of surviving. <laughs> exactly. And you just, and you learn What is it that I do to comfort myself? And what is it that I do to suppress my feelings? And then when you start paying attention to that, because what what happens is a lot of people will go through, heartbreak's a good example because that's something that I wouldn't regard as trauma for in most cases, but it's something that's really difficult that a lot of people have gone through. But when, Mm. when a lot of people go through heartbreak, it's a really tough time, but many people will latch onto the next love. And it does take away a lot of that pain and it does kind of band-aid over what you went through. So you never really faced those feelings. So if you have the opportunity to, after a heartbreak, to not enter another relationship, I mean, sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes there's the best thing in front of you, so you're going to take it. But if you have that chance, milk it because that's where, that's where you really get clear on how am I dealing with my shit? Is there more unresolved thoughts? Where are these thoughts coming from? Do I want to bring this into the next relationship? Do I want to bring this into my life? You know, all the unhealthy things, the healthy things. And that's where you can do a bit of an inventory and kind of like a self-rebrand. I kind of like to think about it. Uh, You also talk a lot about conditioning your mindset, 
and overcoming what are often self-limiting beliefs. Mm. What are some of your top tools to help what you know what you refer mm-hmm. to as like flipping the script? Yep. So one main thing that I recommend is look at affirmations differently. I, I'm all for affirmations, but within the correct context. For example, let's say you consider yourself a failure. So you never want to try and do something that you deem difficult because you think, well, what's the point? I'm just going to fail. I've always failed at every exam. I'm a failure. And you've got this narrative in your head. If you then start saying to yourself, I'm a winner, I'm a winner, I'm a, you're, you're going to say, I'm a, that's a lie. When have I won? I fucking, and and, I'm a loser. I'm a loser and a liar. (laughs) Exactly. And so it almost (laughs) feels ridiculous. And I think most of us can relate that when someone's like, start saying the opposite a hundred times a day and you'll feel it. It's like, no, I don't. I really Mm -hmm. don't. There's no evidence in my life to support that. So I don't feel it. So what do you do? I always say, try and find the most unemotional, like a neutral, as far as emotion goes, thought that is healthier than the one you have. So if you say, I'm a failure. That's a very universal statement and that kind mm. of carries on to every area of your life. So you can change that statement to, so far, I've not passed an exam. That's a lot more specific and it's not saying that you as a human are a failure. You're just talking about a behaviour. Then once you're like, okay, I'm comfortable with that statement, then you take it to the next statement, say, I'm capable of passing an exam if I was really interested in something. Maybe I just haven't been interested. Maybe I just, you know, and and so it's it's always like, what's the next best? What's the, and as you get comfortable, you start easing up on how hard you're being on yourself. And because you ease up on that, you have less resistance towards saying something good about yourself. And then because of that, you start becoming a little bit more interested in things, a bit more proactive. You're more willing to try something. You're willing to dare to do something. And that is how you can go from eventually saying, I'm a winner, I'm successful, I'm whatever, but it's, you've got like 20 rungs to get there. Yeah, right. Okay, I'm going to try that because I often say I'm the world's worst driver (laughs) and anybody who witnesses or has the unfortunate experience of being in my car as I drive would echo similar things. So rather than just have a blanket, I'm the worst driver, Mm -hmm. I could say something like, reverse parking isn't my strong suit. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And then over time, I can get confidence to not petrify anybody who's within a vicinity That's right. when driving. And then you pick one thing about driving that you're good at. Like I'm really good at slowly stopping at the lights. So like you just pick one thing, <laughs> you know, and then you yes. grow on that. And the funny thing is once you start saying, oh, I'm actually not too bad at this, I'm actually good at this, then you subconsciously prime yourself to be like, how can I be a bit better? How can I improve at this? You know, so then you start yeah. when you're actually driving, instead of thinking, oh, I'm going to screw up, you start thinking, oh, can I, can I get really good at this one thing? So you're more playful with yourself. You're more willing to try things and put more energy into it. I want to talk about your podcast, Do You Fucking Mind, mm-hmm. which has just joined the listener family. Yeah. So welcome. Thank you. Um, and the tagline is that it pushes people to live a badass life. Yes. What's a badass life? I think a badass life is a life where you are, I think the aim is that you are truly comfortable in your skin with the good, with the bad, Mm. with the things that are not 100% polished, with the great things, with everything. It's how can I 100% be comfortable in my skin? How can I be the same person when I talk to 
a librarian as when I talk to a bikey. Like, how can I be so myself that I don't alter who I am depending on the situation that I'm in? Because, and that I think is like being your badass self. Like, Mm. no matter what, this is what I have to offer. This is the person that I am. And I think that the most confident people in the world are not necessarily the loudest or the funniest or the biggest characters. They're the ones who are really happy in their own skin. Yeah, I love that. And I want to talk, what I also love is that there was an advertising collaboration um, between a grocery delivery startup and your podcast, Mm -hmm. but that was removed for the use of offensive language because it named your podcast and the BBC kind of shat itself (laughs) when it heard that we use fucking in a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. How was your response to that? Because I reckon as Aussies, we're pretty loose yeah. with our language yeah. generally. It is it is surprising, I think, but also I, I totally get it. But it is surprising because most brands are like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. We don't mind the name. And I, I have the name like that on purpose because I've been asked, oh, are you sure about that name? Is it going to be restricting as far as audience goes? But I think that it's a really good name because, because I... I don't script my podcast. It's very off the cuff. I have my key points and yeah. I'm just, I'm, I get really passionate. And I do swear a bit in the podcast. So I thought, what's a way to warn people of what it is that they're about to be <laughs> listening to just in the title? So that way people that are really aversive to swearing, they see it and they're instantly like, oh, that's probably not for me. And that way the people that come in, yeah. they've already had their little pre-warning. So there's always going to be brands or people that are not going to want to collaborate with a name like that. And and I get it. I totally get it because it might not be appropriate yeah. for their audiences. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And I do think an Australian audience is a little bit different. I did an interview with a British broadcaster and I was talking about Barbie and I said something like shit ton in my interview, referring to plastic, yeah. like a shit ton of plastic. <laughs> I'm sure I gave her a stroke, right? Yeah, she so she really she really panicked. Yeah. But I do think for an Australian audience, um, yeah, and I guess I'm interested in that because your listeners and I've seen from some of the comments aren't necessarily just in Australia. No. Do you get different feedback based on your delivery and your language? Yes. Depending on where your audience yeah, is? Yeah, definitely. So I, only 50% of my audience is in Australia. The other 50% is spread mm worldwide. US is the second biggest audience. And funnily enough, I actually have a lot of US listeners who have said, you've gotten me, you know, implementing the C-bomb in my language. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I should be proud about that. (laughs) Because it's not like, I feel like in the States, people don't casually just drop all these swear words no, in Australia. But, but, but I enjoy it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I enjoy it and respect hearing you do it as oh, well. Good. Thank you. <laughs> and I even had, I've had women in their 60s saying, you've, you've, you know, I've adopted this into my language and I love it. And I'm like, well, hey, if you feel empowered by that, I'm thrilled. And I think they like it because I'll drop it in. I'll be talking about this science fact and the pharmacology of this, and then I'll drop a swear word. And I think, I think they like the, the contrast of it. I listened to an episode recently of yours um, about narcissistic parents and in-laws, and that was off the back of lots of people messaging me, mm. asking for help um, and pointers. And so I want to know what other sorts of things you routinely hear from people that they want help unpacking. Yeah. So a huge one, probably the most common thing is around self-love and self-confidence. I think a lot of people, and I don't know, I can't, 
it's hard to know if this is something that's gotten worse over time, but it feels like it's gotten worse at least as far as people publicly speaking about their relationship with themselves and how they really struggle with loving who they are. And I think Mm. a major component of that is we're lacking connection, like real community and real connection. And weirdly enough, your relationship with yourself improves massively when you have a really good community, like a tight community, a connection mm. with people. And we, you know, and the problem is because we've, we're in the, the world of social media and our attention's always being pulled, we always forget to reply. And then we have a like here and a comment there and we send each other a funny. And so most of the things that I get asked about is how do I, you know, how do I form friends as an adult? How do I feel com- confident in myself? How do I love myself? How do I really become truly happy with the life that I'm living now? And I think a huge part of that comes down to obviously all the things you can do personally for yourself, but a lot of it comes down to Mm. creating real connections and fostering those real connections that already do exist in your life. So you're obviously in the business of giving advice that is neuroscience Mm -hmm. based, but I want to hear the worst bit of advice you've been given. Oh, that's a really, that's a really good question. The worst piece of advice. Oh, okay. I've got it. The worst piece of advice I ever got is when I was working for, I mean, I get why, but I was working for a company when I was deciding that I wanted to do my master's degree in neuroscience. And my boss, who I actually still really like, got along with very well, he was like, why would you want to do that? It doesn't really make sense. What do you see yourself doing you should do an MBA. Do an MBA. I'll pay for it. I will pay for your MBA if you do it. And, you know, I'll help you through it. We'll do it together. And that, because obviously he was like, stay working for me. We can, you know, help each other out. And which was a great opportunity, mind you. But, and I thought about it and I was like, that's terrible. I've been talking about how much I love the brain for years. If I, and I was getting like really pushed to be like, choose the MBA. And then I thought long and hard about it and I was like, I will never forgive myself if I don't just bite the bullet and do the master's in neuroscience because the truth was I didn't, he was right, I didn't know what I wanted Mm. to do with it. But I just knew I loved the brain. I think if you're lucky enough to be passionate and having found that thing that you love, Mm. you owe it to yourself to at least pursue it because a lot of people don't find that thing. And then fair enough to be confused. But if you've got this burning thing being like, I need to explore it, Mm. you have to explore it. One of the other things you do is advise people to embrace aging and believe that it gets better with time um, and that learning from failures and finding optimism in getting older. Mm -hmm. And with that sentiment, it sounds lovely and I agree with it. But I just want to raise one thing. So the Who Sexiest Man Alive just was announced and it's 57-year-old Silver Fox Patrick Dempsey, Mm -hmm. who, if you don't know who Patrick Dempsey is, is Dr. McTreamy from Grey's Anatomy. It just feels like... We are a long way away from having a silver fox 57-year-old woman being called sexy. Yeah. Like, it's it's hard for women to embrace aging. Totally. Right? Like, it's it's, it's lo- a lovely kind of, at this point, I'm, I dare say, like, fluffy ambition. Yes. But everything else kind of points to it sucking for women. Yeah. As and age. that's why when, when you look at ageing... I think it would be really detrimental. And, and it's true what you're saying, and hopefully that does change in the future, but... I think it would be really detrimental if you were to focus only on physical appearance when it comes to aging. 
Of course. So I always say to my listeners, because it's hard not to focus on your physical appearance. Society puts so much importance on it and it would be so naive to be like, oh, looks don't matter because they do. And whether you want them to or not, on a, on a society level, they do. And people are treated differently depending how they look and it sucks, but that's just life. So I think mm. separate to that, I always say to people, instead of if you put a lot of energy into the way you look. And there's nothing wrong with valuing looking good. If you want to, you know, look fit, do your hair, have Botox, get a facelift. You do what you genuinely want to do to make yourself feel good in the skin that you're in. However, your importance, I always say to people, try and get your importance from things that you have earned. And if you can spend your time learning things, evolving, earning things, that's something nobody can mm. take away from you. Some of the most textbook beautiful people in the world are the ones that scrutinize their bodies the most because they're so fearful that if this goes, what do I have? So if you think, mm. if you turn it around and think, okay, that's all well and good if, you know, my looks, if they're there, if they're not. However, I've earned this thing. I've learned this. I'm the best at doing this. I've mastered this. I'm on track to achieving that thing. And you start to gain this massive sense of accomplishment. And when you feel that you have accomplished something within yourself, you respect yourself. You then know how to teach people how to treat you because you've got a, a, a minimum standard. And that's where aging comes in. Mm. As you age, you've got time under your belt. You've got time to learn, time to do things, time to put experiences under your belt. That can only happen with aging. And I feel like you know, the looks thing, we've got a long way to go. And that's definitely something that we can be working on alongside that. But for you to feel better as you age, I would just be thinking, what is it that I want to achieve by the time I'm 50, 60, 70? What are the things that like mm. I want for my own personal legacy, you know? Yeah, for me, it's a seamless reverse park, as you say that. Yeah. It's like, what can I accumulate? Exactly. <laughs> what can I accumulate? What can I come learn? What, what will my legacy be? Exactly. Um, Who knows as, how good you'll be in, in, in 30 years <laughs> driving the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to go back to you for a moment because I want to know what happens when you don't self-care. And I mean, I'm hoping this happens because it makes us feel a bit more human mm. where perhaps you fall into a bit of a fast food and, and TikTok binging slump. Mm. Firstly, does that happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah um, definitely. And does that make people around you like quietly feel good about themselves? Do you know what? I've actually had a few people when I've gone through like a stressful time or where I haven't, you know, we all, whether we like it or not, no matter how organized we are, how how good we manage our lives, there's always times where we can't juggle all the balls in the air, we're burning out or we've got, you know, mm. emotional hardship. And for me, even recently, I've had, you know, a lot of really busy times where I've not juggled it properly and I've been quite stressed and I've noticed myself be like, oh, I can't, oh, and, I, and I, you know, and people can tell. And I had a couple of people, friends of mine, make statements like, oh, I'm surprised to see you like that. You should listen to your own podcast. I'm surprised to see you stressed. You should listen to your podcast. Yeah. And I kind of say, well, no, I mean, I obviously know what I say in my podcast, but I think my podcast is not about don't get stressed, don't do this. It's when these yeah. things arise, 
what are we going to do about it? Because I think it'd be unrealistic yeah. to stand here and say, oh, I never get stressed or I never get overwhelmed or I never spend hours in an afternoon, you know, mindlessly scrolling because that does happen. I try my best to not do that on a regular basis. But if I've had a really stressful day or something that's, mm. you know, happened where I'm like, oh, it's too much. And then ideally, I know that in general, my way of of dealing with that is maybe go for a walk or read a book or whatever. But there's going to be moments where I sit on the couch and two hours later, I'm like, I've just spent two hours scrolling on my phone and I know it doesn't feel good, but do I do it? Absolutely. Just probably less often than a lot of the people who just start listening to my podcast. But I think what I try and teach is in those moments, how are you going to treat yourself? When you've done something that you're annoyed at, how do you treat yourself? Because if you're like, I'm an idiot, oh, no, I was doing so well and now, then you're kind of not really achieving anything. It's how do I, mm. how can I look at when I quote unquote stuff up or do something that I didn't want to do? How do I like move through that instead of regress backwards and be annoyed at myself? And Because we all have those moments. Yeah, how do you do it? What are the first few things you do? So the first few things I do is when I can consciously identify that I'm doing something that I'm like, this is not great. It's not going to make me feel good. I never think, oh, well, I'll wait to tomorrow and start fresh. That's, that's, a, that's a big misstep for yourself because you're saying, oh, even if there's an hour left in the day or 10 hours left in the day, a lot of people will write off the rest of the day. And I don't think that's, that's good because you want to go to bed with a sense of like, oh, well, you know, I did something for myself, not so, not so much because I had to accomplish something. So if mm. I've spent two hours scrolling on TikTok, what I'll then do is I will make sure that I then don't have my phone on me for the rest of the night. I might read a book. One thing that I'll definitely do is step outside. A huge, huge thing mm. to do, especially when you've been mindlessly scrolling or really, really stressed. Get outside with no devices, whether you're sitting or going for a walk around the block, it doesn't matter. Get outside and just take a couple of deep breaths. Even better if there's sunlight because that's like it triggers off this whole series of like positive you know, neurotransmitters, you start to feel a lot Mm. better if it's in the morning and you can get some sunlight, that's ideal. But to get outside is, does wonders for your brain. And there's so many, so many things that you can do for your brain that will have a direct effect on your mood. I think a lot of people think, well, if I'm in a bad mood, I'll just wait. But there's a lot of interventions you can do. Getting outside, doing deep breaths, you know, putting a timer on just for three minutes and closing your eyes and just focusing on your breath. You could be jumping up and down 10 times, get the blood pumping. If you get oxygen to your brain, it literally will change your mood in an instant or in a minute, you know. So Mm. there's a lot of tiny physical interventions that I will do. Um, one thing that I'll sometimes do is, oh, I'm feeling really like, oh, flat. So I'll have a cold shower just to like change the mood. And then I'm on top of the world again, you know? So there's, I always think, what's one thing I can do that by the time I go to bed, I can say, oh, well, at least I did that one thing for my mood or for my brain, you know? I love that. Cold shower, do some star jumps, three minutes, close your eyes and breathe. Yeah. They're all pretty like, not very time intensive, take less than five minutes. They're so Um, simple. But to, to wrap up, I want to ask what's what's next for you. Next is one thing that I'm we just started talking about, which we're going to be doing next year, is live shows. I've never done a live show other than be a guest on oh, one. Amazing. So you're, I think you're the first person I've ever mentioned this to. We're not even sure on dates. We're not sure, but that's definitely something that is like the next big thing on the horizon for me. I really 
yeah, it, one thing that I love to do is meet listeners of the podcast when, you know, I'd be out for a run, a walk, whatever, and listeners will be like, oh my God, oh my God, I, you know, you got me through my breakup. I had someone that I bumped into who moved to Australia because she was always listening to my podcast. And I was thinking, if you've got that idea, you've just got to just do it. She's like, I'm here because of you. And then I meet you. What are the chances? It is the best feeling. And to meet the listeners is my favorite thing in the world. So to have a live show where I have that opportunity to really dedicate time with my audience is just, honestly, it's going to be the best thing ever. And there you have it, my beautiful beans. And if you liked that chat, The Briefing is a great daily news podcast that tells news in just an interesting and easy to understand way. And on Saturdays, that's when they do chats with people like me about bigger conceptual ideas outside of the news cycle. So go check it out. It's called The Briefing and you can find it on the Listener app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So thank you guys for listening. And as always, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke. Listener.